Welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Over the next hour, you will hear raw, honest, and inspiring conversation between Lindsay and her guests, discussing how to thrive, live joyfully, and abundantly in spite of life's challenges. Now, here is your host, Lindsay McCowan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically. I'm your host, Lindsay McCowan, and it's such a pleasure to be here today to really talk to you about such an important topic. And we're going to be talking about food addiction and how to reclaim our health. And before we invite on our very special guest, I want to take a moment for us just to come together and drop in to our bodies. So wherever you are, just take a moment to stop, pause, and breathe. I share this with my clients and my students all the time to stop, pause, and breathe because when we can come to stillness and we check in with our bodies, we have an understanding of where we are in this moment. So if you feel safe, you can close your eyes. If not, if you're driving, just keep your eyes open. You can still take a moment to pause the busyness of your mind and feel into your body and take a few deep, full breaths. Do you feel like you have sovereignty over your body in this moment? Do you feel like you have the full potential of your healing capacity? Do you feel like you are thriving in your health? And if you don't, then definitely stay tuned and pay attention to this show. Because within you, you have this incredible innate capacity to heal yourself if you provide your body, your mind, even your soul, the the platform and the nourishment and the environment it needs. So let's take a couple more deep breaths in and out together. And then when we come back, we'll dedicate our time to listening to this amazing woman, Joan Ifland. Now, Joan has been creating incredible breakthroughs and recovery from food addiction from 1999 with her first popular book, to 2018 when her textbook, I mean, she literally wrote the textbook on processed food addiction, foundations, assessment, and recovery. And so she has been selected for her expertise by Oprah Winfrey Network, Martha Stewart Wedding Magazine, Fortune Magazine, and U.S. News and World Report. And she founded the online addiction reset community, which is ARC, and also the Facebook group Food Addiction education. And these are both great resources where you can go to, to find free support. And she's the lead author of the first scholarly scholarly description of processed food addiction and definition of addictive foods. If you don't know what addictive foods are, she has it there for you. And so she's also earned her PhD in addictive nutrition at the Union Institute and University and her MBA at Stanford Business School and her BA in economics and political science at Oberlin College. So Woo. How do you feel when you hear all that, Joan? Because that is so damn impressive. <laughs> well, I've been busy for a long time. Yeah. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for having me today. It is a fascinating topic, and I'm so looking forward to your audience just getting some ideas about what really happened to them around their food. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a fascinating topic because I don't think um, we are fully educated on where our food is coming from, who is actually creating the food that we eat. Not just like the, I'm not talking about the farmers, but that we're talking specifically about processed food. Who is behind Mm -hmm. all of this food that 
is in every single person's home that I believe. I mean, everyone has at least one processed food in their house. So, yeah. you know, let's talk a little bit first about the, the standard American diet, which obviously the acronym for that is SAD. And it is pretty sad yeah. when we start to listen at, on <laughs> what it really means and that it's actually filled with highly processed and low nutrient cheap foods. And yeah. you call them addictive food-like substances because they're not really food. Can you explain to us more about the details? Yes. Uh, thank you. That's such a good question to start off with. So uh, processed foods are foods that ha are made from or contain uh, a, a sweetener, sugar, high fructose corn syrup, artificial sweeteners. Flour now these days is also a highly processed foods. It's steel mills, the, the rollers in, this, in the flour mills are made from heavy steel and they can pulverize grains that used to be just kind of ground into chunks. And it's the pulverization, it's the making into a powder that gets the substance into your system quickly and gives you that high and crash, which is the hallmark of an addiction. Gluten attaches to morphine receptors, gluteomorphine, excessive salt. Dairy has four different kinds of casomorphine in it, and we can come back to that. And then excessive fat has recently been shown to activate the same pathways as marijuana. Caffeine and, of course, food additives. We're talking about addiction scientists whose job it is to make the substances addictive. These are neurologists, highly trained, highly valued uh, employees of not just the processed food industry, but a lot of industries are finding ways to make their products and services addictive. So this is not your fault. I don't know how many times in the next hour I'm gonna get to say, this is not your fault. But there are these corporations now with their own brain imaging machines and technology that are now able to really hyper-addictivize uh, processed foods. Yeah, and I watched a clip of a, a talk that you did where you talk about the, the tobacco industry has actually, who is behind the processed food industry and the model that they use. And I would love for you to share with our listeners, because when I heard that, I was like, wow, it kind of blew my mind. I had no idea. Yes. It's a very specific business model and it's a specific process of addictivizing the reward centers in the brain, the pleasure centers, so that you you get this high of pleasure followed by a crash and in the crash, it's so uncomfortable that it drives using the substance again. So the business model, I call it the five A's of the addiction business model. And it's not just processed foods using this model. It's any, any substance or service that has an addictive potential, which means that it can elevate dopamine, serotonin, opioids or cannabinoids, our own precious pleasure neurotransmitters, but these anything with the potential to activate that and hyperactivate it, when you hyperactivate, it depletes the brain cell and then you're crashing and you just want to get out of that crash. 
So the five A's are lots and lots of advertising so that you're being stimulated and triggered and cued and reminded and signaled. You can create that flood of cravings uh, with a signal. It doesn't have to be actually eating the, the substance or using the substance. A lot of availability. You have to be able to get your hand on it in the moment in order to reinforce the addiction. And following that is affordability so that everybody can buy it often enough to train those poor brain cells to flood the brain with cravings. Then addictive product formulation. So as soon as tobacco came into processed foods, they uh, ramped up the amount of sugar, fat, salt in products. And then this, the fifth one is very, very sad young age of onset. So the tobacco companies went after like 11-year-old boys with the Joe Camel cartoon campaign. And, and then tobacco was prevented from doing that. And when they got into processed foods, no holds barred. You could just load up baby formula with you know, corn syrup solids and sugar. You could attack two-year-olds with Kool-Aid campaigns. Etc. So that's the the addiction business model, and this is how two thirds of Americans came to smoke, and it's how eighty three percent of Americans are now overweight or obese or super obese. Then the process is just diabolical. So, as I said, they ramp up the content of the product, the addictive content with sugar, fat, salt. And then they get you to buy it frequently through something like couponing. If you've ever noticed, there are no coupons for fresh foods because they're not addictive. But the coupons are for the processed foods. They want you to use the product often enough to train your brain to crave. That's an addiction. That intense craving that you get is deliberately trained into the pleasure centers in the brain by this tobacco model as applied to processed foods. So they hide a lot of addictive substances in the products. So you don't know what's there. And then they give you a lot of couponing and advertising to get you to try it often enough. And then in the case of Kool-Aid, for example, they had the, the you could send in your proof of purchase to get items, hats, shirts, shorts, watches, cassette players. And now you're surrounded with cues. They did this with tobacco with the Marlboro Country Store. You could send in your Marlboro uh, coupons and get a lighter, a belt buckle, a jacket, so that now you're surrounded with the signal. Now your brain cells are helplessly being signaled to release cravings. And they did this with children. Oh, that is fascinating. So they're actually, you're paying for their product. And then you're, the more that you buy, the more coupons you get. And then you send that in. So they'll send you products that you essentially already bought. And then it's free advertising for them, but also it's signaling to your brain in, in, in a very subversive way to signal to you that uh, that craving center again. So then you buy more, send in more coupons, 
they earn more money, you become more addictive, and you're also advertising to everyone else around you as well. So it's so diabolical about that. So that child, now this is this is not made up. During tobacco litigation, the courts required the tobacco industry to put thousands and thousands of documents uh, on deposit with the University of California, San Francisco. Those researchers are going through, they're now millions of documents, but those researchers are going through those documents and they have documented the explicit transfer of the Marlboro country store to the Kool-Aid wacky warehouse. And they're, they're crowing about it. They're bragging about it. They're ecstatic that this model is now working with small children. And there's no limitations or, or, uh, to the age that they'll target any age. Like you're saying that they even target, you know, in utero, because if they can get the mother addicted, then the child is automatically. Yes. Addicted. The child is born. We, there's incredible research showing that the very first smell cell that a fetus develops, what is that for? Why would a fetus need a smell cell? Well, that smell cell goes out into the amniotic fluid and finds out what mom is eating and then develops that preference in the fetus so that when the baby is born and it's breastfeeding, it will want these these foods that are now in the breast milk and then be able to be weaned off onto the foods that are available in the environment. So if you lived somewhere where, you know, there was a particular food source, when you were born, you would be born with a preference for that food source so that you would live. It's a survival instinct. It's a survival mechanism. And the food industry just just relentlessly, ruthlessly exploits these survival mechanisms. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating how our bodies are designed for survival. And like you said, it actually feels really like the word that you used was diabolical, that we're our own survival instincts, our own biology is being used against us for profit. Exactly. Exactly. That's very well said. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned some of these other ways that um, they're using the the brain to crave. Like how, how else are they u- teaching the brain to crave? Like they're doing it through the advertising, the number of impressions. I was really shocked to learn in your talk recently that I listened to that, you know, how many commercials that uh, these companies are using to advertise their products and that it only takes five impressions for a yes. child to um, be uh, kind of hooked on a product or want it, mm-hmm. crave it. That was an incredible study. It was done at Stanford. They took two groups of toddlers. They put a uh, when they put and they showed them the same one hour program, but one group had five commercials for a product in it. The other group had no commercials. They put the children in a room full of choices, full of toys. The children who had seen the five commercials in that one hour all went for that product. The children who had not seen any commercials chose a lot of different toys. That's all it took, five commercials. And they're seeing, they're being exposed to hundreds and hundreds. 
And these advertisers keep up with children. They Now they've moved over to the internet and they've done this just diabolical thing where the uh, characters from the programs advertising the products are now kind of meeting them as if they were real people on uh, social media and talking to them. Mm-hmm. And that's set up so they can follow the child from one website to another website. The The advertisers have this coordinated. And so, of course, these children are putting on weight. They're numb. These are numbing substances. I love the way you started the show, Lindsay, with take a deep breath, get into your body, get grounded, figure out where you are. Uh, you can't do that when you have numbing substances in your system. So all, all of our connection with our body is numbed out. These are numbing substances. Those floods of cravings are also numbing. So we, we make our own opioids. They're beautiful. When we're in pain, we can call on them and they can help us. But as you said, the the food industry has harnessed the, that our beautiful brain functions for their own purposes. So now you have a child who's possibly uh, overweight um, and being rejected by people in their environments, adults and other children. And here's the food industry just waiting there to make that lonely child into a friend of M&Ms, for example. Mm. It's, it's just makes my stomach hurt. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people that are listening to this, it, it makes their stomach turn as well. And yeah. I would love to, we're up to our first break in the show, but I would love for us to come back to this topic and possibly talk about the, uh, the foods that are addictive. I think it's it might be surprising to some people to hear which ones are and um, and also, you know, how many people might actually be addicted. You might not even realize mm-hmm. that you are yeah. addicted because we always yeah. think that addiction is such an extreme thing, but it can be really mm-hmm. subtle as well. So if you are listening to this episode, definitely stay tuned and also consider if you love this show, becoming an affiliate of the show. We are now reaching over 40 countries and Women Thriving Unapologetically is growing because women rise and thrive together. So if you want to be a supporter of the show, perhaps be on the show or be in the background to help the show grow, then reach out to me at thrivingunapologetically uh, at gmail.com. I forgot my email there for a second. So thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com and we'll uh, work together to rise and thrive and grow. So we'll be right back after this short break. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. 
When you awaken the Divine Feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, you awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful, magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Hello, lovely ladies, and welcome back to Women Thriving Unapologetically. So if any of you that are listening to the show are tired of dieting, I mean, who isn't tired of dieting? If you're trying to live healthfully and you're just struggling with a chronic disease, or you really just struggle with having these cravings that you can't seem to fight no matter how hard you try, then this show is definitely for you because Joan and I have been talking about how the processed food in- industry was taken over in the uh, mid-1980s by the tobacco industry and how they have been utilizing a model that is actually called the modern industrial epidemic of addiction. Like, so their whole business model is about getting you addicted. So, and Joan has already told us, and she's going to tell us many times before that this is not your fault. And we're going to talk to her now about how we can identify that the foods that are addictive and how we can start to take our ownership back of our health and our body. So let's go for it, Joan. All right. <laughs> so how do you know, how do you know a food is addictive? Mm-hmm. We know because researchers are all over this. They know which foods activate uh, the cravings. So we use the word addiction a lot, but how do you experience it? It's cravings. So I'm going to substitute the word cravings for addiction because that's what these neurologists who are hired into the food industry are going for, cravings. Cravings that dominate the brain. So you know you have the rational brain in your frontal lobe that's, you know, no, I don't want to eat that. That's making me sick. And my numbers are already um, in the danger zone, my blood work numbers. I don't want to eat that. And then the other voice, oh, but you deserve it. It's your birthday. She made it just for you, just this once. It's your favorite. So what you're hearing is competing groups of brain cells. So you have a, I call them a clump. That's not a technical term. <laughs> I think of them that as just a clump. It's just a clump of brain cells. You have the, these great brain cells in your frontal lobe that that know better. You have gotten the education. You've listened to Lindsay and you you know better. You know that hurts me. So that great. You have that voice. Don't eat that. But what the food industry has done through these substances that we're going to go through is they've made the release of cravings from your pleasure centers bigger. 
bigger than what you can produce from your frontal lobe. So you've got like these two battles. It's a battle. It's a competition between these hyperactive pleasure centers and your frontal lobe, your the wisdom in your frontal lobe. So what substances do that? Any kind of sweet taste will hyperactivate dopamine. Any kind of concentrated sweet taste. And once you sensitized, which means that they're very reactive, you just think about something sweet and boom, you've got a, a flood of cravings. Then you have to even be careful with high sugar fruits. I know they're not processed. A, a banana is not processed. Cherries, grapes, uh, the high the high sugar tropical fruits like guava and mango. I know they're not processed. But once the dopamine centers have been sensitized and like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, then even something sweet, like a, a very sweet fruit, can set off those cravings. How do you decide? So you're in control, you're powerful, you're thriving, you're going to take control of this. How do you decide whether you can eat a banana or not? You watch for the cravings afterwards. You eat a banana and then you're thinking about chocolate. Well, you just got triggered by that banana. So any kind of a sweet taste. And the artificial sweeteners actually have aspects to them that are worse than sugar or high fructose corn syrup. Because with an artificial sweetener, you, you get that intense sweet taste. Your pancreas thinks, oh my gosh, a whole bunch of sugar is coming. It releases a lot of insulin to deal with that sugar. And then you um, and then it doesn't come. But the insulin is there packing the glucose into fat and liver cells and muscle cells. And so you get a glucose crash. So it has been shown that people who use artificial sweeteners tend to gain weight. Mm-hmm. And it's because in that crash, you're ravenous. You're just, you're going to do anything to get your blood glucose back up. So I'm uh, curious with the artificial sweeteners, would something like stevia be included? Oh my gosh, that? of course. You know, anything that you hear from uh, a manufacturer is designed to lure you into the trap of excessive cravings. So if a manufacturer says, oh, it's natural, you know, run. Just run, run the other way. It's so fascinating that you say that because I was suffering from migraines for a long time. And, you know, I have to be really careful of the foods that I eat. And one, uh, there's a book that I read by a doctor out of John Hopkins. And he says, talks about the the label, nat, it's uh, natural flavorings. He's like, that is the biggest red flag. Don't. Because that's usually like MSG or some other things in it that are really un, actually unhealthy for you. Totally. It's a very deceptive umbrella kind of label that the food industry got the FDA to approve. It's just, I love what Mary And how did they get them to improve, uh, approve that? Oh, it's funny, honey. It's just (laughs) funny, honey. It's just, you know, we, we have this great capitalistic uh, democracy, but it's very vulnerable to campaign contributions. So yeah, just like, I, I, I just I wanted you to say that for everyone to hear that because it's like everyone think, oh, the FDA has our best interests in mind. Like, no, no, no. The FDA is actually 
just think of it by like occupied territory. There are food <laughs> industry executives that come into those jobs and they rotate. It's mm. that's pretty well documented. So flour is your next. Um, if you just try to get off of sweeteners, I think what you'll find is you transfer the cravings to flour. And now, you know, now you've got a bread maker on your kitchen counter. How did that get there? Um, and then you're making all so you've and I do want to say again and again that addressing the cravings means uh a training, skill acquisition in thought control, emotional control, cue exposure, you know, this how are you exposed to those signals? Uh, and it's it's quite extensive training. And you don't just say, oh, I'm going to stop craving. No, you actually have to undo the all of those years when the food industry had full access to your pleasure centers in your brain to uh, create those intense cravings. It takes it can take years to fully train that brain not to respond. But it is possible. Because I was I was curious when you were talking like the prefrontal cortex is not as powerful as your your logical center here is not as powerful as the craving center, and so it sounds like we have to kind of I don't, I don't want to say heal, but I'm at a, a loss for it what word that would be. It's a healing of that craving. Word. Okay, the craving center, and mm-hmm. actually train it to crave other foods. And also at the same time, I don't know if a craving is the right word, but no, it's just, it's to desire, but a craving is a sign of an addiction. Okay. So you desire of something healthy, anything. Yeah. Okay. But desire long for have the urge for That's a, That's all right. That you want the tomato and not the can of heavily sweetened, high fat, high sugar pasta sauce. You just want that yeah. tomato. So yeah, because the tomato is not addictive, it's not a craving food. Okay. And just to pay attention, like how your body feels, like when you said like, oh, if you had that banana, then all of a sudden you're uh, craving chocolate. And I recently did a, a challenge where, uh, with my partner who owns a gym and we were taking out the the bread and the pasta and the sugar. Cause I had a little bit of a sugar thing going on. Cause I love to have a cup of coffee and a, you know, a little cookie to go with that. And so when I took it out after those 50 days, I didn't, cr- I wasn't, cr- I wasn't craving them, but then I had a a little cookie with someone when I was out and I immediately felt what that Mm -hmm. did to my body. I Mm -hmm. felt awful. Mm -hmm. And so it was very interesting, like how, like if you take it out and then put it back in, how it is actually affecting your body. I'm like, wow, I want to feel that way. And you need to be really careful about putting it back in because the, that training will be there forever. My, Mm -hmm. that training to uh, flood the brain with cravings will be there forever. I have to practice a lifestyle, create a lifestyle that protects me from the signaling. I I don't want the food industry in my brain anymore. And also the the stress. So stress, it's another clump of brain cells, but stress will activate the addiction because the pleasure centers are there to try to make us feel better when we're under stress. So stress can activate those pleasure centers to release that flood of cravings. It's um, so they're really 
I'm going to talk about really five parts of the brain. We've talked about the pleasure centers. What do they do? They flood the brain with cravings. The actual mechanism is fascinating. These neurotransmitters, like the dopamine neurotransmitters, can actually travel over to behavior centers and activate the behavior centers. So if you've ever had that zombie feeling, you know, I'm walking to get this and the frontal lobe is screaming, don't do it, don't do it, but you're still walking to get it. It's still, your your hand is still putting it in your mouth. That is because the, the pleasure centers are able to directly control behavior. There's no loop through the frontal lobe. They see in the brain imaging research that the craving neurotransmitters go straight over to the behavior centers, latch on and activate your behavior. This is not your fault. So those zombie moments, now you know what has happened is you've, you've somehow gotten exposed to some signaling, some cueing, some advertising, availability, just having this stuff in your house triggers the release of dopamine and it'll build up over time. You're like, oh, you know, I don't want that. It's okay to have it in my house. But then, you know, come late evening, there you are doing the zombie walk to go and get it. So um, flour can do that. Flour is associated with a serotonin pathway. And then gluten. Gluten has a naturally occurring morphine in it. So Mother Nature made these foods pleasurable. It's not just eat this so you don't die. It's eat this and enjoy it. And that's great until you concentrate that it's a natural endorphin, until you concentrate it through processing. And that it's the processing that takes a, oh, you know, um, it's something wonderful like millet. And you process it and you condense it and you and you make it able, you make it into a powder so it gets, there's no digestion. It just whoop, it swooshes into your system. Then it becomes addictive. So that's why I can't eat wheat, period. I can't eat barley. I, they all have gluten in them. So even if it's not processed, that gluten now, I'm sensitized to it. I'll get a high and a crash from it. And that's depression. That crash can feel like depression, anxiety, irritability. It has a huge emotional content. Okay, we're going to get through this list. Then excessive salt has been shown to activate the opioid pathways. And there is a great new uh, study on salt withdrawal. Quite painful. Then... Um, Dairy has four different casomorphines in it. And that is a substance right out of the organic cow that is powerful enough to put a 100-pound baby calf to sleep. Because when that baby calf has fed, you want that baby calf to go to sleep so that it will absorb nutrients. Well, it puts us to sleep too. It's a numbing substance, but more damning is research done in Germany showing that dairy turns on the weight gain gene. Of course it does. It's a substance that's designed to help a 100-pound baby calf 
gain 500 pounds in a year. So dairy wow. is like, oh my gosh, the last thing, any kind of dairy, whether it's goat or sheep or whatever, that substance is designed to make that baby put on weight. And then uh, fats, excessive fats. And this is a fantastic topic because of the keto movement. Uh, oh, I'm going to stop my sugar cravings. And oh, this fat is so satiating. I've heard experts from a conference stage say you can eat all the fat you want, which is deadly. It's There's no other word for it. Because now we do have really good evidence. It was an animal study done at the University of Boston where they took three groups of rats. One one group got regular chow. The other one got exposure to sugar. And the third one got exposure, exposure to as much fat as they wanted to eat. Sure enough, you see that addiction develop in that rat. You see the increased use over time, the hyperactivation of that behavior center. And it's just, it's now over. So if you, somebody is persuades you, a keto proponent or a eat all the fat you want proponent, a carnivore proponent, and they say you can eat all the fat you want, that is a lie. That is just not true. You cannot eat all the fat you want because you will develop now. It's in a different part of the brain. It's in the same part of the brain that... Uh, where marijuana addiction lies, you know, don't get me started on that debate. The, the research is very clear. So it's the cannabinoid system, which is named after cannabis. So mm. what happens then, and I've written a big paper about this. I have to figure out how to get it published. So great. You, you stop the sugar cravings, but they are incubating. Sugar cravings in an untreated brain. Now, if you if you were treated for cravings, if you learned the thought control, if you learned the uh, how to avoid the signaling and the cueing, then you'd be safer. But you, but no, you don't. That's not what the keto community tells you to do. They don't say you before we could take you off the sugar. You need to get your cravings treated. Uh, they just say, oh, just switch over to fat. It's so satiating. But as the weeks go by, you develop the fat addiction and you're you're doing keto maybe for five days in a row and then you're binging on fat. The pork rinds and the cheese and the sour cream and all that, it's just the cravings for it start to arrive and you build up consumption. And then the sugar cravings break back through because they're not treated, still there. They're incubating. They're getting stronger. And finally, they break back through. And now you have a combination of fat and sugar addiction, and that will cripple your cells in eight different ways. So don't, don't try to give up the sugar without getting treated for it, getting this skill building, because if it doesn't transfer to fat, it'll transfer to romance novels. You'll be up all night reading romance novels or or watching porn. Oh yeah, all it will find another addiction. And I feel like our, you know, our brains are so intelligent in the sense that what I hear you saying is like, okay, you may quit the sugar, but then all of a sudden you're going to crave more flowery products, or because your body it's constantly seeking um, satiation for that craving, and so, and I I felt that before when I have like um, 
you know, I'll use a drug addiction because I used to do cocaine. I wasn't addicted to cocaine, but I remember that, you know, I had such low serotonin that I would crave, I, I don't uh, that particular substance. And then when I stopped doing that, then I started craving other things that would boost that serotonin level. And I was like, oh, look at this. And I didn't, I was like, look what I'm putting in my mouth because I need the serotonin that it wasn't, you know, that boost that I wasn't getting from a line of cocaine and said I was getting it from the food. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm just substituting it for something else. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that you're saying that, okay, we have to really pay attention to the cravings themselves and Mm -hmm. also have this awareness of our bodies and that we have to treat the craving. And I'd love to talk about that when we come back, how we can do that because we are up to our uh, last break of the show. So if you are listening, definitely reach out to me at thriving. Uh, unapologetically at gmail.com. That's thriving unapologetically at gmail.com because we are building a group of women who desire to rise and thrive together. And I love hearing from you and I'm very accessible when you do reach out. So we'll be right back after this short break. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. When you awaken the divine feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, you awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv slash goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Hello and welcome back to Women Thriving Unapologetically. And we are going to drop right back into conversation because there's so much to cover with Joan Ifland. And we want to definitely um, start the conversation off with how do we treat these cravings because we know we most of us have them but how are we going to treat this so this doesn't um become a reoccurring addiction because it's not a it's not an eating problem as you mentioned in some of your other talks it's an addiction problem yes it's not an eating disorder like cocaine addiction is not a snorting disorder (laughs) eating is just the method by which the substances gets into your body like yeah but it's but but it's, it's used elsewhere. Like um, alcoholism is called a, a drinking problem. So it, I think that's probably where the eating disorder words came from. All right, treatment. What is treatment? 
first of all, let's understand signaling because that's where the cravings start. By the time you're actually putting the substance in your mouth, the, the most exciting part of the addiction is over. And this is, this is interesting. The most, uh, the greatest levels of dopamine release or craving release is happening during the seeking phrase phase. So the addiction will drive you, the cravings will drive you to seek. Yeah, I mean, that's what they're doing. They're traveling across the brain and they're latching onto your uh, behavior centers and you're doing the zombie walk or you're driving all over the town to find the perfect cookie or you're just, I, I wasn't planning to stop here at this coffee shop, but yes, that combination of caffeine and sugar and dairy that is a, a stop at a coffee shop, that's the combination of substances makes the whole thing so much worse because you've activated dopamine and serotonin and opioid and cannabinoid. It's it's a very difficult uh, craving to stop. 1.6 million Americans will die from this every year. It's four times more lethal than COVID. I mean, a million people in the U.S. died from COVID over four years. 1.6 million people will die every year from diet-related diseases. Mm. Okay, so what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Step one, A number one, is to look at the people around you because the people are signals. And if and you have a part of the brain, so we talked about the frontal lobe, we talked about the pleasure centers, we talked about the behavior and the stress centers. Now we're going to talk about a part of the brain It's a survival. It's the dominant force in the brain, which is to fit in, to belong, to be accepted. Because whether you're an evolutionist or a creationist, your survival depended on being accepted into a group of people. We don't have claws and big teeth. We don't have any way to defend ourselves against lions or any other kind of predator except by banding together and getting our spears you know, together. You get five spears together, you've got a chance. But by, by yourself, you're dead. I mean, the predator will get you. Or you'll die of starvation or you'll die of dehydration or exposure to weather. You need a group of intelligence. No, 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 that we, we want to turn right at this path because that will take us over to this cave. You you can't, one individual can't contain all that information. So your brain will lead you, whether you like it or not, to copy the people around you so that you will fit in with them, you will belong, you'll be in the club, and you'll live. It's the way the brain is built. It's just, it's, it's a whole system. It's in every part of the brain. It's a very specialized brain cell called a mirror neuron. So this is why I'm, let me see if it's all right. I'm going to talk about the treatment model that we've developed. Yeah, please do. Okay. Because I've I've experienced that, uh, that part in the community. Like I used to bartend and, you know, it's a heavily, it's a heavy drinking community. And when I decided to stop drinking, 
I felt a little ostracized. I mean, they were still my friends, but all of a sudden I was getting signaling from them like, oh, you're so much more fun when you drink. Or it was really hard and difficult not to be pulled back in. I really had to change my lifestyle to an extreme level and just really separate myself from that community. It was, it felt really lonely to do that. And it was hard. Very excellent example. So if I take my food, because I'm going to an event where there's no clean food available and I sit down at the table and we're chatting and everybody else is getting bad food. Everybody else is getting food. That's going to put them to sleep all afternoon. It's a pasta dish followed by uh, you know, a dessert and there's bread on the table and caffeine and people are drinking caffeine. And there I am sitting with my clean food. Um, I will feel lonely. I'll feel that same ostracism, you know, the sideways glances. Oh, what are you eating? And I, I will leave with my mirror neurons really anxious, mm. really mad. You didn't fit in. You weren't eating what they ate. So what I do now is this is why our online community, we have live Zoom with a trained host, somebody who's expert in this and isn't going to mess it up and give you the wrong impression, 15 to 17 hours a day. We are on Zoom live, not just 15 hours through the day around the clock so we broadcast for five or six hours and then we take a couple hour break and then we come back around the clock so we have people broadcasting from europe from africa across the americas and into australia and china so that if i wake up during the middle of the night and i'm having a panic attack and I, my urge to binge is about to burst through and I'm going to get DoorDash to bring me something in the middle of the night. I can open my screen and there are the Australians or there are the Europeans waking up, people I know. And I'll go right back to sleep. I'm secure. I'm in my tribe. Nothing bad is happening. I'm getting an oxytocin release from opening my screen and being in my tribe. What does oxytocin do? It goes and it calms the uh, craving pathways. I absolutely love that you've created this community so that it's there 24-7. So you always have people there to support you. It's an incredible offering. And, you know, we only have a couple of minutes before we have to wrap up the show. So So we didn't get through all the treatment that you could do for cravings, but you have this, this platform plus another platform people can drop into. You want mm-hmm. to share that with us? So it's uh, go to processfoodaddiction.com. There are lots of options there. You can join this recovery community. We have a new community for remission of disease. Uh, this, but that's what I was saying before that now the sugar fat combination is crippling cells. Well, you can revive those cells and then a whole big range of disease goes away. Uh, and that website is Remission Optimistic. But go to Processed Food Addiction, get into our system by taking the self-quiz. So 11 signs of addiction. If you are experiencing six or more, that food industry has given you a severe addiction. And you didn't ask for that. 
But now you know, oh, I'm going to need a much higher level of treatment for me to break out of this. Yeah, so definitely go and take that quiz and just go ahead and reach out to these amazing groups, this Facebook community, and also um, I think it's the, the acronym is ARC, Addiction Recovery. The Addiction Recovery Community, yeah. the ROC is the Remission Optimistic Community. If you've been told that you have an incurable disease like diabetes, like uh, chronic depression, that's that's just the medical industry trying to compete with all these other modalities. I've seen those diseases go into remission in the five years that we've had the ARC, and it's because we're reviving cell function. Well, I love that. So, Joan... Thank you so much for being here. And we have already decided that she's going to come back because there's so much more to share. She's been doing this for this work for decades. And um, so just know that it is not your fault. If you have a chronic disease, it is curable and that you can really heal the cravings that you have for these different types of food addictions and really claim sovereignty of your body and your health again. So thank you again, Joan. And if you are listening and you want to reach out to me and be a part of the women thriving unapologetically community that of women that's rising and thriving together, then reach out to me at thriving unapologetically at gmail.com. And I'm also on social media. So join the community there. So until next time, many blessings and much love. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving Unapologetically. We hope we've inspired you to claim your birthright to thrive. Tune in next week where we will continue to give you the tools you need to flourish, prosper, and thrive. Until then, have a beautiful week.